0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you Know Your Bible. Good morning welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week. We've got some more of your questions uh, we've studied up on and are ready to answer. And we hope we get to yours this week. If you're a first time viewer let me explain what we do Uh, You'll notice a phone number and a (coughs) website there at the bottom of the screen. That's the way you get in touch with us and you direct the program. You tell us what you'd like us to talk about and that's what we'll try to answer for you. We take all kinds of questions about the Bible, uh, specific ones about what's this verse mean or where's that in the Bible. And we get a lot of general ones about uh, life and family and finances and living and uh, what's happening in the news and all that. And people want to know what's the Bible have to say about that kind of thing. And we're happy to try to discuss that if we can. If there's no biblical principle about it, we'll tell you. Uh, But that's pretty rare. The Bible's got something to say about most all that man is doing these days. So uh, just use either one of those numbers get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce my friend here, Toby Levering. He's back ready to go. Hi, Toby.
1: Good morning, Steve.
0: Glad you're here and ready to study with the folks at home. Uh, I'm going to give uh, them a question first. We always have a little trivia question for our viewers. So here's today's, How many men did Gideon take to war? Old Testament story in the book of Judges. You might want to look that one up. Uh, Gideon, how many men did he take to war? And We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you know the answer to that one. Let's see, I drew the first one today. So let me tackle that one. Uh, Viewers asking about uh, pledging allegiance to the flag. Is pledging allegiance to the flag, or any other material object, right or wrong? Well, uh, I imagine most of us are familiar with one religious group that teaches that uh, their people shouldn't pledge allegiance to the flag. Uh, I remember from school having a few of those kids in our class, and uh, they wouldn't stand up and say the pledge with us. And of course had to ask why, what's going on here, why aren't they doing what the rest of us are doing. Uh, Well their explanation is that we pledge allegiance only to the King. Uh, We have one King, that's God, and uh, we don't pledge allegiance to anything else on earth. Uh, He is our number one priority and that's the only one we're going to pledge allegiance to. And I understand that concept, uh, and technically I think they're right. I think they draw a little too fine a line and uh, don't take into account that people can understand that they've got priorities. Uh, I believe the same thing, although I pledge allegiance to my flag and I'm I'm proud of my country and I try to be a good citizen, uh, my number one priority is still God and the Christians certainly understand that. God's the first priority. Family is probably the second one. I've pledged allegiance to my wife and to my children. Uh, My country, probably third. Uh, My employer, maybe. I pledge allegiance to them, that I'll be loyal to you and all of that. Uh, It doesn't mean that they direct my entire life. Uh, It means that I have an allegiance to them. Now, the conflict would come is if my country ever told me to do something that God says I shouldn't do then I've got to draw that line and say no I've pledged allegiance to the country but no if they violated God's law I'll go with God. Okay. And there's a classic example of that in the Bible. Let's look at Acts 5 29. Uh, Peter and the other apostles were called in uh, by the ruling government of the land and said you've got to quit preaching. And when the ruling government said to quit preaching Peter and the apostles said well no sorry uh, we'll obey you if you tell us to Follow this speed limit or do this or that, uh, but you tell us to do something that God commanded us to do, we're going to go with God. Uh, so the verse says, Peter and the other apostles reply, We must obey God rather than men. So as long as we understand that priority and the fact that pledging allegiance to the flag uh, has its limits and uh, certainly would fall behind whatever God has to say, I personally think it's all right to pledge allegiance to the flag. But I understand if somebody that hard a line, and, really doesn't want to pledge allegiance to anything except God, I understand that. That's fine with me.
1: (laughs) Well, there were people back in Jesus' day who questioned, you know, should we follow Caesar or should we follow the Lord? Jews were under Roman occupation, and some had a real problem with that. And they asked Jesus, and he said, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and what to God what is God's. And I think just as you said, you know, a Christian can serve God and and have him as first priority and also be a good citizen, and there's no problem with that. So.
0: But personal decision, and we'll let our viewers decide for themselves.
1: (laughs) All right. The next uh, question that we have up to answer, uh, someone asked the question, kind of an age-old question, is there anything in the Bible about dinosaurs? Uh, Well, I think there is, although they don't go by that name specifically. Uh, Dinosaurs is a really fascinating subject. If you ever go to a uh, archaeological museum or uh, see a history museum and they have the skeletal, the fossils uh, uh, Just it's just amazing to look at a creature like that and we wonder Man, where do these fit into the creation picture well of course in creation there's not specifically named any creature like a dinosaur but in Job chapter 41 which we believe is one of the earlier books written in scripture uh, this speaks about this creature called the Leviathan and I picked some verses out of there which you can read the whole chapter at home. I will not fail to speak of his limbs. This is God speaking. His strength in his graceful form. When he rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before his thrashing. Nothing on earth is his equal. A creature without fear. Well, uh, this creature, in my mind, fully fits uh, how I imagine a dinosaur taking all those bones and putting muscle and flesh and skin on them. How they would uh, have looked like and what they would have acted like. I think there was nothing on earth like the dinosaur, although in Job it's called the Leviathan. So semantics aside, I do believe that they are talked about in the Bible. And some people ask and ask the question, the logical question, well, where what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, uh, there is a biblical event called the flood. It seems to be to me that it must have uh, wiped out a good portion of them. Uh, or uh, somewhere along the line in history, they went extinct. That happens to many species, uh, not just the dinosaurs, by the way. Uh, and So it seems to me that they are a, a reasonable part of creation. Nothing wrong with uh, believing them, just understanding that uh, the Creator who made that creation is worthy of the one being adored and not so much the creation itself. But a great question. If you want to study more <coughs> about that from a biblical perspective, look at again at Job chapter 41.
0: Thank you, Tony. Question about deathbed repentance. Let's uh, look at that. The viewer says if a person is on their deathbed and they pray the prayer of salvation, uh, will they go to heaven? All right. I'm going to answer this uh, from just the perspective of deathbed repentance. I think that's the main question the viewer is asking, and forget for right now the prayer of salvation. And uh, we got another question very similar, so I'm going to let Toby answer that next, and together maybe we'll get this question answered. Uh, but I think what the viewer is asking is what a lot of people wonder about uh, deathbed repentance, the last days of someone's life they know they're going to die. Uh, They call the preacher in and say, All right, I'm ready to uh, be baptized, or I accept Christ, or I'm sorry for my life, and all that. Uh, They repent at the last minute. Uh, I think that bothers folks uh, because it doesn't seem fair. I think that's the main problem, and I'm Guessing here and analyzing but uh, I think we look at life and see somebody that uh, was converted to Christ as a teenager and they lived their whole life for him and made a huge difference in the kingdom and served so many people and then somebody else that lived their life strictly for themselves and did evil things and uh, messed up their family and caused all kinds of problems damaged the cause of Christ and at the last minute says well I want to be a Christian now Uh, People look at that and say, "Ah, it doesn't seem fair for some reason. Uh, Will they really go to heaven? Well, a couple of things about that. First of all, we have no idea how sincere uh, or what a person's heart is in such a situation, but God does. Uh, God will judge perfectly. Uh, He knows what that person's whole life has been like and what the state of his heart is on his deathbed, and He will judge that perfectly. Another thing to consider is, that Jesus told a parable almost exactly <laughs> about this same problem. He called it it's the parable of the workers and it's in Matthew 20. And he said a landowner went out and hired a bunch of people and at the end of it it says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. But how we got there is the interesting thing. He hired some workers first thing in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. He told him, I'll pay you a denarius if you work for me all day. He went back and hired some more at 9 o'clock, some more at noon, some more at 3 o'clock. He went back at 5 o'clock and hired a few more, one hour before quitting time. And then at quitting time he paid all of them a denarius. And some of them said, that's not fair. (laughs) Some of them got all excited and said, that's not right. Uh, I worked all day for a denarius. How come that guy gets a denarius too? And Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I don't know all he was pointing out by that parable, uh, but I think he was pointing out one thing, we are saved by grace. It's not about how many years we work or how many uh, years we serve or the number of works we do. We are saved by grace. So if that person's heart is sincere and he does the right thing and does what Jesus commanded, Uh, God knows that. He's going to reward perfectly and I think in heaven we'll understand all of it. I don't think it will bother us a bit. I don't think we'll be jealous at all that somebody got the same reward we did uh, for not serving their whole life life perhaps. Another way to look at it if you think that's kind of unfair is think about it this way. The the person that gave his life to Christ early on has had a much better life. Uh, His family is probably much happier Uh, He's probably got better relationships with his kids and all of that. Uh, He's lived an abundant life, most likely, compared to one who lives a life of sin. Uh, So he's gotten some extra rewards here on earth. But uh, in general, my answer to that is, will he really good at heaven? If he's sincere and does the right thing, God will know what his heart is and take care of it. Judging perfectly,
1: you know, you <laughs> brought up the idea of fair there, and I can tell you, fairness and justice is absolutely what none of us want. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to being fair, if God, if God was fair and just and gave us exactly what we deserve, they, ain't nobody getting in. <laughs> Good
0: <point>. Good <laughs> well, point. We have
1: a similar question. Yep, that person kind of wants to know uh, something similar, and they asked this question. When someone accepts Christ on their deathbed, what about baptism, is what the viewer asks. They kind of come to this uh, similar point. They know on this program, Know Your Bible, we teach, have taught for many years now, a couple of decades, um, about what the Bible says about how to become a Christian. Very simply, faith, repentance, immersion, baptism into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and then walking in the light. And that's just something that Scripture spells out very clearly. Uh, There are lots of debatable issues, lots of questions that we don't know the answer to, but on those issues, we can be sure that those things are required. So this person says, all right, what if somebody gets up to their deathbed and they study the Scripture, or maybe watch Know Your Bible, and they're convicted they really want to become a Christian but it is physically impossible for them to get into the water. Well, how do you answer that, you know, is that going is that person going to go to hell and is because they didn't do the last thing? All right. Well, there's two ways to ask that question. First is the one I just described, a person very sincere been watching the program wants to to become a Christian physically can't get into the water or be too traumatic uh, might just um, uh, end their life or doctors say don't do it or they're in the hospital or what have you um, and they decide they want to do it, they're just physically unable, I think exactly what Steve said is right. You can trust that God's going to make exactly the right judgment. He knows a person's heart fully and totally and sincerely. Uh, The other person is the the person who's, well in high school I used to wrestle. And there were people who just liked to wrestle. They just liked to scrap, <laughs> and they watch this program over and over and over again. And they're always, they're always sort of talking back to the television, saying, "Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but my preacher said this. Yeah, but this." The sort of the "yeah, but." <laughs> try to imagine all these scenarios where baptism wouldn't necessarily have to be true, and they look for the exception and try to make that apply to the rule. Well. In that case, I'm saying, no, you know, you you can't look for an exception to Scripture. That's not coming from the right heart. Uh, That's a rebellious, defiant heart. That's not a person who's coming out of sincerity and reverence to Christ. Uh, Let me use this poor illustration. It falls apart, so don't take it too far. But I tell my son to go clean his room. And I go in, I notice he hasn't cleaned his room. So I go find him. I say, well, son, why didn't you clean your room? And he said, well, I was—I heard you say to do that, but mom had asked me to do something else. I was busy. I couldn't get to it. Impossible for me to do two things at once. I say, okay, son, uh, that's all right. You just clean it as soon as you finish what your mother told you to do, and you go in and pick up your room. All right. The second is, I notice this clean or a dirty room, and he... Hasn't picked it up, and I tell him once, I tell him twice, I tell him three times. I keep having to repeat myself over and over and over. He hears me, but he repeatedly, defiantly ignores me. And he says, well, I know Dad said it, but it's not really true. Okay, now I'm going to, in in both of those cases, the same thing happened. A son refused to to do what the father said. In one sense, in in one side of that, I'm going to have mercy because of the exceptional circumstances. Okay, and another side of that, i'm going to say there's going to be a punishment here because you heard what I said, you could have done it, and you ignored it, you rebelled okay so there's two ways to approach that that question of obedience, and we understand that as parents. we understand that there's times when you've got to make one call uh, and another time the same thing could happen, you make a completely different call, and that's what Steve was saying that God exactly knows the right thing to do, and he will do it. But if you sat here watching week after week and you know how to become a Christian and you're ignoring those verses and you're just defying them and you're just wanting to argue and scrap and and throw it around, you know, that's that's a very different spirit entirely. So don't let the exception become the rule. Uh, listen to what Scripture says about being baptized and obey that if it's possible. And if you, if it's not possible, God will be correct.
0: God will do it exactly perfectly, I right. guarantee you. Uh, all right, well, I may take just a moment to uh, invite people to study the Bible with us in a Bible correspondent course that we have. Uh, we talk about that each week and make make that offer and I'm sure some people are afraid to take us up on it because uh, free things <laughs> on religious programs make people nervous. It usually gets them on a, a mailing list or gets them a bunch of requests for money. Uh, we don't do that on Know Your Bible. If you've listened very long you've never heard us ask for money and you never will. Uh, We just provide this because we believe in Bible study and we think this is a good way to study the Bible. Uh, You see the eight lessons in this opening course. Uh, We send it to you in the mail so that you've got a little accountability. Uh, We pay the postage both ways so it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, But you put it... answer all the questions and study it and put it back in the envelope and send it back. Somebody will grade it for you and send it back to you and that that holds you a little bit accountable and makes you form that regular habit of Bible study we think is a good thing. Uh, But it's a great way to study the Bible, a good general study of the Bible. Uh, Once you've got through with that we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to provide to you. Uh, We've got a certificate that we'll get to you that says you completed each course. Uh, We've got some people that study the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible study tools and we're happy to provide them. So if you're interested in a good home Bible study uh, without any uh, bad happenings, no mailing lists or uh, money requests or anything like that, you can count on Know Your Bible to provide it. Just uh, use the phone number or the website at the bottom. We'll get it started for you very quickly and I think you'll like it. All right, somebody's been reading the Gospels and is pretty astute here. Uh, The question is why does Matthew say that both robbers were insulting Jesus, yet Luke says only one was? All right, Uh, first of all, let's make sure we understand the four Gospel accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are similar accounts. They're all telling the biography of Jesus. So a lot of them tell the very same stories. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar to each other, and John is quite a bit the most different. Uh, The first three are called the synoptic gospels. They're kind of a synopsis all together. And then John tells things differently. He tells longer stories and more stories and all that. But uh, on this case, I, I put all four accounts on the screen for you. Let's just go through them real quick and then I'll give you the answer. In Matthew, when Matthew talks about the thieves on the cross and all that, he says that two robbers were uh, crucified with Jesus and both of them hurled insults at Jesus. Our viewer is right there. Mark says that those crucified with him heaped insults on him. He doesn't tell how many there were. He just says the ones crucified with him heaped insults on him. Luke tells the story that one robber was hurling insults and the other one rebuked the first one and defended Jesus. And then in John, all that John says is two others were crucified with him. And he doesn't mention anything about them insulting Jesus or befriending Jesus or anything else. So our viewers right? Matthew says, and Mark by that for that matter, say both of them were hurling insults. Luke says one was hurling insults, the other one was defending Jesus. Alright, the answer is, and we've got to make these harmonized because they are co-authored by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the answer is that obviously Luke was writing about a little later event on Calvary. At the start both robbers were insulting Jesus. I mean, they were not the nicest guys in the world. They had just got out of prison, condemned to death. They were thieves or robbers of some sort. Uh, And so they were picking on Jesus. Uh, Everybody was. Everybody on Calvary was picking on Jesus that day and hurling insults. But a little later in the day, evidently, uh, one changed his tune. Now, I think personally I'm filling in between the blanks here. I believe that he watched Jesus I believe that he saw how Jesus reacted to the torment that he was getting. I think he saw Jesus' humility, saw his forgiveness, saw him interacting with his mother and his friends in front of him there. Um, (coughs) When you watch a man, (coughs) excuse me, being crucified, and he is forgiving those people who are, (coughs) excuse me, forgiving those people who are doing it. that will make an impression on you. And I think that robber saw that and decided there's something special about Jesus. So he started out condemning him and insulting him. Later in the day the other robber started picking on Jesus again. And the second thief said, hold it now. This guy is not like us. This guy's different. Uh, This guy doesn't deserve what he's getting. We deserve what we're getting. But he doesn't deserve it. So, I think that's a simple explanation, I think it's obviously what happened. Uh, at one time both robbers were insulting, one of them changed his tune later in the day and decided that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, and then of course it goes on, and some of the accounts tell about Jesus saying, all right, you, you'll be with me in paradise today, He forgave him of his sins. All right, let me take time to invite our viewers to visit a Church of Christ near them. Uh, we like to mention some each week. Uh, we're supported by Churches of Christ. One of our main supporters is in Springfield, Missouri, uh, the Watermill Church of Christ. A great bunch of folks there at Watermill. I uh, know you'd enjoy visiting with them. And if you're looking for a church home, drop in there sometime. Uh, if you know somebody that uh, attends the Watermill Church of Christ, uh, now that you know they help provide this program for you, mention it to them. Drop them a note or if you see them somewhere tell them you appreciate them providing the program and uh, you like watching it. Of course uh, a lot of other churches of Christ in your viewing area and if you are looking for a church home uh, drop in and visit one of them sometime. You would be warmly welcomed. You would find folks that uh, study and think about the Bible a lot like we do on this program and uh, we invite you to visit sometime. All right, Toby, you got a question. Yes, it's from
1: uh well Matthew chapter 5 verse 5. Let's look at the question. When will the meek inherit the earth? Now this viewer clearly a bible student been reading through Matthew and uh, let's put that verse on the screen Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 part of the beatitudes where Jesus says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and this viewer wants to know when will that is that going to happen well my answer to that is it has always happened both in the past and today and it will in the future now Jesus was a rabbi he taught uh, would have taught and uh, exposited much of the old testament and uh, this probably it comes from psalm chapter 37 this is not on the screen you have to look it up at home but if you read chapter psalm chapter 37 and he talks about the meek inheriting the earth it gives us a little fuller understanding what it means to be meek but in short it means someone who trusts fully in god who submits fully to his authority who lives his life under his full uh, lordship and he yields in every way possible his behaviors and his actions to the Lord. And that's someone who's meek. Well, there's always been those people, both in the past, today, and there will be in the future. And those are the ones uh, that will ultimately win out, is what he's saying. So meekness uh, should be our attitude towards God. Uh, it should be very humble, very uh, uh, yielding and obedient to what he has called us to do. So I think the answer is uh, the meek have always, will always, and Today and will always inherit the earth.
0: Okay. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Viewers uh, <coughs> wondering about marriage in heaven here. The question is Is it true there are not any marriages in heaven? Well, the viewer's been reading his Bible. Jesus was answering the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So they came up to Jesus and they made up this hypothetical, preposterous story. They said, This woman got married, husband died, got married again, that husband died. Got married again, seven times she got married said, now, who's going to be her husband in Heaven? And they thought that was real tricky. Here's Jesus' answer from Luke chapter 20, uh, verse 34 and 35, Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. All right, he says, not going to be any marriage in heaven. That's about our only verse on that, but our viewers, right, seems to say no marriage is in heaven. Now, that bothers some people. Uh, they've been married for 60, 70 years, and they say, what? Why, I can't do without my spouse in heaven. I wouldn't be happy. Uh, and it bothers some people the other way, I think. Uh, <laughs> but uh, people do wonder about it. Uh, I think the reason there won't be marriage in heaven is because there would be no need for it. Marriage was created for earth. Uh, Adam would have been lonely without a companion. He needed somebody to complete him. He needed a helper. Uh, So God gave marriage to mankind on earth. Uh, The other reason God created marriage was for procreation. He needed to get the earth populated. Neither one of those things will be needed in heaven. I think if you had a happy marriage and are uh, going to miss your spouse and all that in heaven, uh, you'll still have a special bond somehow. I can't explain how. It's just that we're not going to give. Mar- be having marriages and recognize that bond. God will work it all out somehow. We're going to be happy uh, however it works. So uh, no marriages in heaven, but still be happy some way. All right, let me make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And uh, the trivia question was about uh, uh, what was Gideon? Yes, how many (laughs) men did I forgot the question? Much less the answer. (laughs) How many men did Gideon take to war? And the answer to that is 300. And you remember God showed His power that way. You can read about it in Judges 7. He started out with thousands of men volunteered. And God said, that's too many. If you win with thousands of men, you'll think you did it. So let's keep cutting it down until when you win the war battle, you'll know that I did it for you. So he finally went to war with 300, and he was victorious because he actually had 301, and that one made the difference. All right, we're glad you've been with us today, and we hope you'll come back next week. We've got some more questions saved up that we haven't gotten to. We'll get to them as quickly as we can. And uh, we hope you're back with us then. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit the Church of Christ near you.